0: Another month's past, so even though no one asked, we're about to explore it all in this Dan Chronicles, the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Dan Chronicles. This is the audio companion to my newsletter, the newsletter that I send out every month Which, if you're listening to this, you probably know about that. But if you're listening to this through some sort of podcast app and you don't know about it, you can go to my website, Dan with two N's, danb.org, and check it out there. Uh, Yeah, it is September. And September, I mean, if you know me, you've probably heard me say this multiple times, but September is my favorite month. And every year, I feel like I'm counting down the days to September. And then when it finally gets here, I'm just in a constant state of being excited because it's September. And I like it so much because I like the cooler weather. And I feel like September is the first month where the heat of the summer starts to break. And September is not always cool. Sometimes you get a warm September, but it's kind of that contrast between the hot of summer, breaking into the cool of fall that I just really like. And so it's always been like this since I moved to New York, and I've been trying to sort of unpack that to kind of understand why. And really, I i think that growing up in a place like Arizona, where it's just so warm all the time, I was really wet, ready for some cooler weather. And so I got to New York, and I got to New York around this time of year because I came out in 2004 for college and so I got here when the weather was just starting to break and so this is a continuation of that cycle it's it's officially been what is it I came in 2004 and it's 2022 right now so I came here what is it like 18 years ago it's almost been two decades wow but I feel like the shift from the heat of summer to the cool of fall is kind of like a microcosm of the larger move that I made so many years ago from the heat of Arizona to the cooler weather of the East Coast and so I just it brings back all of those nice feelings of nostalgia and yeah it's just great I love September Uh, my second favorite month is October so this is peak time of year for Dan And so in the newsletter, I kind of open things up to pontificate on that a little bit. But yeah, I don't know what everybody else's favorite month is. I feel like for most people, if they've been born and raised in a place where you actually have winters and snow, you don't really like the cold weather as much. So a lot of people will point towards spring or summer as their favorite. But for me... It has been, and I feel like it always will be fall and September. That's my favorite. So we finally made it. We're here in 2022. And yeah, let's just get into the stories. Now it's time for the stories. So to start things off, I listened to the Mark Zuckerberg interview on Joe Rogan. So you don't have to. Uh, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of Joe Rogan, um, But I mean, he has his place, I guess. He's like the millennial version of Howard Stern. That's sort of how I see him, where just everybody goes on for the long interviews. And so from time to time, he'll have a guest that's sort of interesting, and I'll check it out. And yeah, he did that recently with Mark Zuckerberg. And I saw a few clips a few places, and I was kind of like, okay, well, Mark Zuckerberg is a powerful person. He runs a giant company. That has a lot of influence in a lot of different ways, and I really don't know that much about him, right? There was the movie that came out about the founding of Facebook by Aaron Sorkin, what is it, The Social Network, and that was largely just a like theatrical version. It's not totally true so to speak but beyond that i really don't know much about zuckerberg which means i don't really know anything about him at all like i watched the hearings where he talked about facebook and its influence over the news and over people and stuff but that's about it so i was really hoping to kind of get a glimpse into what he was thinking i always like interviews with say like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Bill Gates, all of these people that run big companies. And I always walk away from those interviews with a different perspective, whether I agree with it or not is something different, but they work in a space and thus have spent a lot of time thinking about that space and getting peeks into their brains is interesting in terms of coloring decisions that I might have seen or followed the company making or otherwise about more general, the space that they each company is operating in. So I was hoping to have something similar with this Zuckerberg interview. And I ended up walking away with kind of a greater sense of dread than I was anticipating. Really, because I didn't get the sense that Zuckerberg was thinking deeply about some of the more nuanced philosophical challenges that Facebook or Meta, whatever you want to call it, are facing. Every time Rogan posed kind of a more challenging question. Now, I mean, Joe Rogan is not the place you go to be challenged, so to speak. But he did bring up a few concerns around setting policies that impact billions of people and sort of what it means to carry that on your shoulders. And Zuckerberg really didn't have too much beyond the surface level to add there Uh, whenever he was asked one of these questions he just kind of said well we don't think about it that way at meta instead and then just gave some sort of clippy tagline about bringing the world closer together and it really bummed me out because these are nuanced really important decisions that his company is making. And I mean, maybe there are deep conversations that are happening behind the scenes, but we really, really didn't get a peek into that at all in this interview, which sort of scared me, I guess. Um, One of the other big things that I was kind of looking forward to hearing him talk about was virtual reality and augmented reality, because Facebook made a big bet on ar and vr and and, i mean they even changed their name from facebook to meta to cement this bet and i was hoping that there would be some insights about human interaction or the future and he didn't really say anything that anybody thinking about the topic for two seconds would say in terms of okay vr does give you a different sense of interacting with people and that is kind of cool um but beyond that, there really wasn't too much there. I think the quote that got a lot of headlines from the interview was that Zuckerberg said that waking up every morning as the CEO of Meta is like getting punched in the stomach, which, oof, that's that's quite the quote. And he talked a lot about physical activity and how he used to run. But he doesn't really run anymore. Now he kind of surfs and he's gotten into mixed martial arts, which Rogan really liked. Uh, But he likes these physical activities that really take all of your brain power because running gives you a lot of time to think and he needs to reset in the morning by being able to kind of shut his brain off and focus on something else intently, which I think makes a lot of sense. But again, it's not some deep philosophical thing. It's just, yeah, that's what working out in those types of ways does. It allows you to turn off your brain and physical activity is is good for productivity. So there really wasn't anything beyond the surface level there. I did get the sense that the virtual reality space is not really advancing in the way that he had hoped, which, I mean, I sort of agree with. Like, it's, it's a good, it's kind of fun, I guess, but it's also niche. I don't necessarily see it as being as ubiquitous as, say, Facebook and having an identity online became. But the future is still open. Uh, One of the things that he complained about a little bit was how in physical activities like mixed martial arts, you have instant feedback where you do a move, you anticipate your partner doing a certain thing and you can counteract it and you have immediate feedback about whether that was the correct thing to do or not. But in business... You have much longer lead times for any decision that you're making. So we talked about how he made the big bet on augmented reality and virtual reality a long time ago. And business means that you really don't get feedback on that decision for quite a long time. And my reading between the lines was that he's not really 100% confident on this bet. And... Yeah, that is what it is. I I was really hoping for something more out of this interview, but it's not something I think you should read or not read, but listen to necessarily. I again, I didn't really get much out of it, but those were my biggest takeaways. And aside from that, I also don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. Like some people might get their company to a certain place and then just want to retire or want to do something else. And he seemed to really want to retire like he was really happy moving to Hawaii during the pandemic and surfing every day and doing these activities. But at the end of the day, he's running meta and I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. So i will see him around for a while, I think. Next up, I want to talk about the new iPhones, because if you missed it, Apple, like they do every year, announce their new iPhone lineup. So there's a new iPhone 14 and a new iPhone 14 Pro. But the thing that was my biggest takeaway and the saddest thing from this event is there is no more iPhone mini. Two years ago, I got the iPhone 12 mini, and I must say it was the best smartphone I have ever owned. That size was just perfect for sitting in your pocket, for using on a day-to-day basis. And the smaller screen, I feel, didn't encourage you to spend as much time on the device as you might do with larger phones. But it was just great for typing in one hand and using. And they had the 12 mini, which I got. The next year, they released a 13 mini. And this year, there is no mini. And I can't blame Apple because the sales for the mini were much lower than they expected based on the news articles on the topic. And it just really bums me out because I feel like a lot of people talk about wanting a small phone, but in practice, when it comes to your actual wallet, consumers don't actually want that. And so they're not going to keep making them. And I mean, it's a possibility that they will have some sort of longer refresh cycle. So the optimistic take is that maybe in a few years, they'll release a new version of the mini. That's sort of what they do with the iPad mini, where every year they don't come out with a new iPad mini. Well, they do come out with a new iPad and a new iPad Pro, but the mini has a longer refresh cycle and maybe they'll do the same thing with the phone. And when they do, I'll definitely snap that up. But I did get the new 14. I went with the Pro Pro. I didn't do the Pro Max just because that's way too big. And I like it. I like having the latest technology and the camera is now 48 megapixels and there's that new dynamic island feature, which if you haven't seen it, I put a, a link to what that is in the newsletter. And it's pretty cool. It kind of has a a little island, I guess, at the top of your screen where if you have a timer or you're on a call, things kind of move in a fun way onto the island to give you quick access to it and all your notifications are there. And I think that's really cool. It's not life-changing, but it adds a little bit of personality to the phone that I think is a creative way to deal with the notch, which is definitely not going anywhere anytime soon. But one of the coolest implementations of the Dynamic Island that I have seen ever, I'm absolutely in love with this, is with the Reddit app Apollo. Apollo. So Apollo is a Reddit app that's just created by this dude who used to work at Apple and his new feature for the dynamic Island is as you're browsing Reddit, it puts a little pet that kind of like walks around and is cute on top of the island. And I think that is the coolest thing ever. So I have fun with that and yeah, I'm happy with the phone, but I'm really depressed that it is not a mini. So speaking of Apple, The next thing I kind of share is this Twitter account that I follow that I really like that's called Internal Tech Emails. And basically what they do is they scour lawsuits, court cases for any private emails or communications that are made public through those court filings. And then they'll post like some sort of internal email from, say, Steve Jobs or or Bill Gates or like the leaders of other big companies. For the world to see because they've been made public in these court filings. So it sort of bubbles up these famous people emails. And I just think it's absolutely fascinating. One, you get to catch a glimpse into what's sort of going on behind the scenes for all of these breaking news happenings with all of these famous companies. You get an inside look at kind of how they all came together. But more interesting for me is you get to see how powerful people communicate, right? Like what words they use how their emails are structured and that's always just so fascinating to me because you see these multi-billion dollar deals and you know that so much goes into these that you just don't know but at the end of the day having these emails is just it's a normal person just writing an email Uh, and my one takeaway from years of following this account is that the more powerful you are in a company so to speak the shorter your emails are usually just like one or two words and that's just how it happens so it makes me feel more empowered to keep my emails short which everybody says you should do best practice keep it short and sweet but it's always fun to to see powerful interesting people doing the same thing next the big news this month was figma Now, Figma is a SaaS application, so software as a service, online service for design uh, that is really popular. Everybody, uh, every company that I'm kind of aware of uses it as a tool as part of their design process. And one of the reasons people liked it, so to speak, is because it wasn't owned by Adobe. But the big news this month is that Adobe acquired Figma. So Figma is now part of Adobe. And it makes me think of companies that fill a certain niche in a certain way, and then for some reason they, they go away or they're driven into the ground and it leaves a big space in the market to be filled. And I think one of the biggest examples is with Vine. So Vine, if you don't remember, was a was sort of like Instagram, but for short videos. So the videos had to be six seconds, and I think it was six seconds. And it was basically, you could scroll through it like Instagram and see little short videos. And it got really popular. It created a whole category of Vine celebrities and people that have used Vine as a jumping off point to be influencers and and known internet celebrities. So Twitter bought Vine back in the day. What was it like 2013? Yeah. And I thought they were going to do something cool with it, and they ended up just running it into the ground and then eventually shutting it down. And when I saw that, I was just shocked because I'm like, of course, there's a market for uh, Instagram, but for video, right? And so why would they shut this down? It's going to create a huge vacuum. And of course, very shortly thereafter, uh, an app called Musical.ly came in to fill the space. And musically later turned into TikTok, which I think we all know today as the video sharing app. And that could have been Vine, but Twitter just, or yeah, Twitter just kind of ran it into the ground. Um, Same thing is happening as we speak with Instagram, as Meta uh, and Zuckerberg uh, don't know what they're doing, like I, I said before, but I feel like they're turning Instagram into TikTok and making it all about video and doing all these changes. And I think that's going to leave a big hole in the market for just a still image sharing app to come in there because I feel like there's a market for that. I would love to just share an image. I try to use Instagram like the way it used to be used. And so I think pretty soon there might be somebody swooping in there to fill that in. I mentioned these on the topic of Figma because I feel like there is a larger movement ...to move away from these sort of big behemoth companies. So people liked Figma because it wasn't Adobe. And I talked last month about trying to move away from Google. And I found a new search engine called Kagi. I use a new email service called ProtonMail. And I just kind of, for individual things, like to move away from the monster that is Google... And people want to do the same thing with Adobe. Adobe Creative Cloud is kind of, for a certain person in a certain industry, kind of a required monthly payment you have to make. And it's kind of nice to have new people stepping into the space and creating tools that are viable alternatives. But Adobe saw the same thing. They saw Figma as a threat, as the threat that it was, and acquired them. And so now, now all these Figma users are back to being adobe users and maybe there's space in the market for an adobe alternative but of course that's going to be years and years and years down the line but the market is the market and there will always be market holes and there will always be companies making moves that you don't always agree with although the adobe acquisition i 100% agree with it but figma's decision to be acquired is less uh Gravy with me, but I mean, who could turn it down, right? So they were acquired for 50 times the current annual recurring revenue, which is a super high valuation for being acquired. And really, that's what Silicon Valley right now is buzzing about is the high Acquisition cost. And that's a big deal because I mean, especially with the pandemic, we saw a lot of these acquisition numbers going down to much lower multiples of annual recurring revenue. And so, of course, this is a one off. It's not necessarily the beginning of a trend, but people in the startup space are, I guess they have mixed feelings because people are excited about the 50X ARR acquisition cost, but also it's just Adobe being Adobe. People thought they could escape and they cannot. And the last thing I touch on is just a fun little website that lets you browse television from the 2000s. So back before there was streaming and there was a whole prestige to television, like along the same lines as cinema. Back in the day, TV was kind of the, the default entertainment. It didn't have the same prestige as movies. Like there was cinema and then there was TV And TV stars were not in the same league as movie stars. And in current days, that's not really the case. Just because you do have streaming, you can binge watch things. You don't have to catch something live if you want to watch it. You can actually go back and see it through a streaming device afterwards. And so back in the day, TV used to just be mindless entertainment. It was the boob tube. And now you can go back on this website that I link in there, which is my 00S TV, so my 2000s TV, and flip through channels and watch old commercials and really just settle into a nice warm pool of nostalgia. And that's exactly what I did. And uh, if that sounds interesting to you, you should check it out. And that's it for the audio version of the September edition of the dan chronicles i hope you enjoyed it if you want to subscribe to the newsletter if you're not yet it is d-a-n-n-b.org check it out there and i will see you next month